You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, everybody? My name is Craig Stout. I am the defensive film analyst for Arrowhead Pride. This is the AP Laboratory. You might notice, once again, Kent Swanson's not here. He's not leading the charge like he normally does. But with me, as always, is Maddie Lane. The two of us are going to hold it down while Kent is soldiering through an illness right now. He's not able to be on for your sake, not just ours, but for your sake. Apparently, he's got a really bad cough, and nobody wants to hear that all podcast. podcast. But uh, how are we doing today, Maddie? Oh, man, I'm doing good. And since we are, we are Kentless today, we might actually have a short pod. As we all know, Kent has overtaken the uh, the throne as the long-winded one here. So I say we just get real clean in and out of these breaks. We get from one topic to the next real snappy, and we just get this thing going. We show Kent that we're professionals when he's not here. Yeah, we may be the we may be the live stream you know guys that enjoy some adult beverages when we do it, but that doesn't mean that we're not professionals. Yeah, well. All I need to do is probably mention Miko Hardman and try and get your thoughts on him, and then we've got like a four-hour podcast. So, listen, how much topic do we need on wide receiver five? Yeah, see, there we go. There we go. You kept it short <laughs> and sweet. Nice. So, uh, we're gonna do Q and A's today. We are doing a live stream as per usual. Again, around eight fifteen on Tuesday nights, we're getting on the Arrowhead Pride YouTube channel, doing a live stream of this podcast. You can find that on the YouTube channel later you can just listen to the podcast for those of you who don't want to stare at our beautiful faces i get it i totally do i understand that 100 percent completely but uh we are going to take some questions that you had on twitter we are going to take some from the live stream and we're going to get into this so first one our guy country boy 567 who is going to be the player that fans choose to hate this year I think it's just going to be carryover from last year, and Anthony Hitchens is going to catch the bulk of the hate on the defense. Not only did people already dislike him because of his contract and because of what was relatively poor play last year, he's going to be put in situations where he's going to be asked to do a lot. And there's going to be ways that he's helped, but he's still going to be in pretty much three-down linebacker for the Chiefs, and he's going to be asked to cover, to defend the run. He's going to be asked to be a vital part of the defense, and anytime he shows any average or below-average play, he's just going to catch a ton of flack because the grass is always going to be greener with the more athletic kind of Dorian O'Daniel, Darren Lee plays. So anytime Anthony Hitchens doesn't make a play, someone's going to chime in about his lack of speed or how a faster guy would make a better play there. And I think it's just going to go simply overlooked what how important he is going to be for this defense once we get into the season and everything gets rolling. Yeah, I, that's a good one. Uh, I would, I'm going to say Bashad Breland. I, oh, that's I, a good one too. I feel like with the cornerback group the way that it is, that they're putting an awful lot of faith into Bashad Breland, much like they put into David Amerson at this time last year, and you saw how that worked out. Like People were still talking about him mid-season, and they cut him 
<laughs> after training camp, after preseason. So I think that Bashad Breland has a lot of weight on his shoulders. He's in a contract year. He's supposed to be motivated because he wants to make money. If he does not play well, the Chiefs are going to be in a bad situation at cornerback. They don't really have a ton of depth behind him. They've got some young guys that need some seasoning. Bashad Breland needs to play well. If he gets burned early, we're going to be seeing that a lot. We're going to be seeing a lot of complaints out of people. So, uh, next we got Keith McLean, 78. Any possibility that we don't extend Chris Jones? You know, that's that's a really, really tough question right now. Um, if you would have asked me this two months ago, I would have said, no chance. They're extending him, 100% extending him. Um, him missing uh, minicamp, OTAs, not a big deal to me. I don't really care about that at all. I, you know, they're, they're not mandatory. So, you know, why should you care about him? What I care about is the way that Andy Reid talked about him in his press conference. What I care about is Sammy Watkins trying to get him back in-house. Those comments that those two have made kind of speak more towards there maybe being some discontent with Chris Jones rather than a situation where they're just trying to work out a deal. It sounds to me like with them trying to get him back in-house that maybe a deal's not in place until he shows you know, that he can show up and fit in this defense well, which he should, no problem, but he's got to get in-house first, and I think that they're waiting for him to get in-house. I'm not sure that he gets a contract before he shows up. Yeah, and I think that's the issue. I think that as a fan, I absolutely think they should extend him. They should pay him pretty much whatever he's asking for. I think you try to get in a little earlier than you have to. You don't want to wait until he is going to be able to walk out the door or get franchise tagged, so this is the time to do it. But from a team perspective, it makes sense. There's rumblings that have been about Twitter for a while now that maybe Chris Jones kind of did not necessarily his own thing, but he was busy trying to make plays all the time rather than just do the dirty work, just always take on his direct assignment. And with Bob Sutton, I understand that a little bit. He's not the most cutthroat coach. You can get away with a little bit of stuff when Sutton is kind of your leader, the coach that's going to be telling you yes or no. So maybe the Chiefs want to see him. They want to see him in there with this new staff. It's a completely different attitude on the Chiefs team right now. Chris Jones needs to be there. He needs to get used to his new teammates, his new coaches. I get it trying to get more money, but he's going to be coming back to a whole new situation right now. He should want to be there and getting used to with these guys. The chances of him getting more money while being there right now and showing that he's a leader are a lot better than him training and looking great down in Florida or wherever he is. But if he wants to get paid, he needs to get back into camp right now into these OTAs and just show everybody that he really wants to be there. And even so, the Chiefs might still wait until the midseason, sometime during the year mm-hmm. or next year to do it, just because they want to see him be able to play in this new scheme. Maybe Brendan Daly or Steve Spagnuolo wants to see him 100% carry out what their assignment for him is every single play over and over again, rather than maybe seeing a window that he maybe Aaron Donald is known for a guy that plays off script. It's mm-hmm. what he does. Pe- teams know it, but he's so good that it doesn't matter. And Chris Jones is very close to that caliber, but there might be a coach and Wade Phillips is not one. So that's why it works for the Rams with Aaron Donald, but maybe Steve Spagnola or Brendan Daly just want someone that's a little bit more under 
constraint. They want a guy that they can coach on any given play and know what they're going to get. It's just little stuff like that that we don't know about as fans that I think he needs to get into camp and show them he's willing to work on. I mean, we th- I think we know this from like Jamie Collins kind of going off script in New England. That was one of the reasons why they moved on from him. Brenda Daly definitely subscribes to that theory. You know, he, he I think he would rather work with a group of guys that are malleable, that are willing to execute the scheme like it's called rather than an elite athlete that's going to go off script. Now, I'm not saying whether or not I agree with that. I think Chris Jones is one of the five best players on the defensive side of the ball. He certainly was last year. I think he's primed for an excellent season. I just think that, I I mean, I could just understand some of the logic behind why they wouldn't want to make a deal right this very moment. Again, like Matt said, I can see him showing up playing within the scheme and in October they put you know a hundred and something million dollars on him right then and there on the spot because he's proved that he can do what they want him to do so yeah and I think that's the most the best scenario for both teams right there is he comes back he shows he's the same Chris Jones as last year in terms of disruption but he also proves that he can play he can be the underman in a stunt that's not going to do anything sexy he proves that he can sit there and drop his knee and take on a double team if that's what the place calling for him. I just wonder if little things like that are the questions right now. And the way Brendan Daly worked in New England, that just may simply not be something that he sees from Chris Jones yet. That's why Chris Jones needs to get back there, show them he's willing to do that, and then he's going to get the payday. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the agreement there. Yeah. Uh, Mr. C. David, uh, we got three quick hitters. Uh, You must choose between this group. Okay. Carlos Hyde or Darrell Williams. I'm... I'm going to go with Carlos Hyde just due to pass protection. He's the best pass protector that they have as a running back. I think that's very important for Andy. Same, Carlos Hyde. I think people forget how dynamic he was just a couple years ago as well. He's never a complete uh, home run hitter, but he was more than capable to be a feature back just a couple years ago, so definitely give me Carlos Hyde still. And we like Daryl Williams. Like that's, That's a tough one. That's a really tough one. Uh, Byron Pringle or Cody Thompson, Matt? Oh, this this one hurts my soul because I got I got to slander somebody one way or the other. For right now, give me Byron Pringle because I think he's a better vertical wide receiver, and I think that's what the Chiefs are going to need more to start this year with whatever the Tyree Kill situation will be, and even going into next year, I think there's going to be a bigger call for somebody like Byron Pringle who can stretch a team vertically more so than Cody Thompson, who I think is a short to intermediate, better route running kind of guy. Man, yeah, that that one's tough. Uh, I I do think that it's Pringle. I, the coaching staff wouldn't shut up about him this everybody. this past week. Everybody, I mean, for God's sake, Greg Lewis basically stepped up to the microphone and people said hi to him, and he couldn't scream Byron Pringle's name loud enough, like quick enough. It was immediate. So I I do think that it's Pringle. That's a tough one though. I think that they'll try and keep Cody Con- Cody Thompson on the practice squad if he doesn't make the team. Like uh, he's oh, got he's a making good the shot. team. Oh, he's making the team? Is he going to be mystery IR? I mean, he's only got to get to wide receiver five, so. (laughs) Just backhanded slander there. I see how it is. Uh, Ben Neiman or Gary Johnson? This one's one's the easiest one of the three for me. I'm going Gary Johnson. You can't teach speed. Uh, His instincts are not great. Um, He needs a lot of work on that. Matt House can hammer that out for him, but you can't teach that speed. Yeah, no, 100%. Gary Johnson, it's not particularly close to me either. 
both guys are a little bit smaller frame guys. Give me the guy that I know can run on special teams and can get sideline to sideline, even if I have to teach him what he's looking for. All right, next up, we got S.S. Stebbins was throwing $100,000 at Custis as a UDFA, a waste, Maddie. No, it absolutely wasn't a waste. He's a guy that if they're throwing $100,000 at him, they had other teams that they know were interested. They wanted to get him in camp because they saw something they liked. He came in camp, and he just simply, it doesn't sound like he's been as impressive as some other guys. And quite frankly, $100,000 to an NFL team like this is nothing. They're doing that just to get a guy to come and try out because they like something they saw. All this means is the next time he's a free agent, whether it's this year or even if he makes a team, but if he doesn't, the next time he's a free agent, he's going to remember a good interaction with the Chiefs. He's more willing to come back here afterwards. Yeah, and I think that he's got an outside shot. I mean, him, Cody Thompson, there's a couple of guys there that could end up kind of rounding out a practice squad if they don't if they don't make the team. He could show up. You know, a lot of these guys, this is still OTAs. A lot of these guys are still learning the playbook. They're still learning how to, you know, developing chemistry with these quarterbacks. You might see situations like Byron Pringle last year where all of a sudden they get to preseason week four and they just jump off the screen. I mean, he showed well in training camp, but they, they talked often about how good he looked in that fourth preseason game and how he was probably making the roster. <laughs> And then all of a sudden it was a, a an IR for an injury that he recovered from awful quickly and doesn't seem to be showing any signs of, you know, anything there. So we could see a little bit of that. Maybe maybe Custis is that guy. Maybe Thompson's that guy. Um, Irish Chief One asks, how many running backs do the Chiefs carry this season? All right, I'm just going to work through it live. We got Damian Williams, mm-hmm. Darwin Thompson. I'm going to put Carlos Hyde in there. I think that Sherman, to Sherman, are we going to count Sherman in terms of running back? Because that's where he goes in the depth chart when you count, but he's a different position entirely. What you think? I, I think uh, <laughs> throw him in as tight end too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Then we get uh, James Williams. So there we're sitting at, what, four? Because we're not including Sherman. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a pretty good start right there. I don't it is. know. I think that's where I'd end. I'd go with four plus Sherman, whatever you want to call him. So that would mean that uh, Daryl Williams does not make the squad. Yeah, um, I have them trying to slip him to the practice squad again, which or not even again. He didn't even go there last year, but right. trying to get him down there. I just It's a too crowded of a room for a guy whose best skill set is too similar to Carlos Hyde's. And, and I think that we need to talk about this a little bit. I see a lot of national media talking about uh, maybe Duke Johnson or adding another running back to this room. Uh, Maddie, how would you feel about if the Chiefs tried to go after Duke Johnson with the current running backs as it is? Does it feel redundant? Yeah, it definitely does, because he's very much the same as Darwin Thompson or James Williams. He's not, and a little bit of Damian Williams too, he's not providing you something that you don't have anymore. He's another dynamic kind of space running back that was a better receiver than he is a runner, now, actually, thinking back about it, if I'm not mistaken, Duke Johnson wants to play wide receiver. So if they want to bring him in to add a new wide receiver five over McCole Hardman, we could definitely take Duke Johnson in here. But um, besides that, unless he's up for that position change still, I think there's no need to add him to Darwin Thompson and James Williams. And That's the thing. Andy Reid running backs have historically produced, and it didn't really matter. I mean, Spencer Ware, Charkandrick West, guys like this produced. Now, they may not have produced as 
awesome as Kareem Hunt did or LaShawn McCoy did or, you know, there's lots of guys that definitely had better years, but I would never say that a running back had a quote-unquote bad year under Andy Reid. He tends to get the most out of his running backs. Now he's got a bunch of these young guys. They've got a bunch of guys that fit a bunch of different skill sets. We love Damian Williams. We think Damian Williams is a very good running back. I, I just don't really see the Chiefs really needing to add a running back at this point. They've already got too full of a room, and Duke Johnson would have to be competing with some guys that I think that they'd feel are a little more uh, established in their offense or have traits that they like a little better. Um, we got one more here before we take a break. We're going to do Stefan NFL. Which player are fans more protective of, Armani Watts or Demarcus Robinson? Well, this is a hot oh, one. Oh man, this is a hot one. This has got this has got a little heat on it. Um, I think that people, and maybe it's just because I cover the defense. I think people are a little more protective of Armani Watts. I I do think that Armani does have some growth he can do. I do think that he could be a football player going forward, but they drafted over the top of him. Uh, he showcased in limited reps. I know they talk him up quite a bit. You know, they say, well, he was really coming on against a, a backup tight end. Um, he, he had a, a sack on a blitz that he wasn't blocked on. I mean, there, there's some stuff that people point to as being really excellent or good plays when, when in truth he had two good plays and the rest of it was pretty meh. I, and you know, Bob Sutton's entire defense was pretty meh last year. You want to make the argument that Armani Watts can thrive in a different defense? I, go right ahead. That That's fine. Whatever. But people seem to love Armani Watts a little more than they probably should at this point. I, You know, Tyron Matthew and Juan Thornhill and Jordan Lucas are all guys that they chose to spend money and assets on over Armani Watts. So if you're still really clinging to Armani Watts is going to start, Armani Watts is going to be this major player for this defense, unless there's an injury, I just don't see it. Yeah, and this is an easy one for me too. I think everybody knows that I'm going with Armani Watts here. And it's simply... That's because you love D-Rob. To, to address the D-Rob's part of this here. I don't think fans defend Demarcus Robinson that much. I actually think fans in general don't particularly like him because they remember an interception or two where he did seem to run the wrong route. These are from Alex Smith, for what it's worth, where he ran the wrong route and the ball got picked off. And there's been a couple things and hints at that coming out. And I would agree. He's probably not got the best grasp on the game, mentally speaking, especially going into his fourth year. But for what he is, he's a quality player. He runs fantastic routes. He has good feet, and he's a good athlete. You put him out there on the field, he finds space. He's going to make some plays. Armani Watts, we just simply don't know what he is yet. And like Craig just said, his best plays were running with a fit, a sixth offensive tackle and then breaking up a pass on the goal <laughs> line and then an unblocked sack where, yeah, he did a good job of cutting tight corner close to the, you know, the rusher, but it was unblocked. Like That was his season highlights. And you go back to the preseason – and it was two overthrows that just kind of fell into his lap. And there's a skill to be in position to make those plays, but the ball fell into his lap twice, and that's what we're using to talk him up. 
you can go back to his college tape and just watch him versus Tennessee. He single-handedly had eight missed tackles on Alvin Kamara, and I get it. Alvin Kamara is great, but you can't have that many missed tackles on one player in a game. And it was just that was just the epitome of what I thought of Armani Watts was attempting to break down an NFL athlete in space and just completely being unable to do it. And then you want me to believe that he can play single high in the NFL or be an effective box safety at his size and athleticism. I'm just not seeing it. And I believe Chiefs fans are just wildly impressed by him because he has some fantastic highlights and big playmaking ability. So he's considered this starter level player, despite not showing any reason to think he's a starting level player. So he's probably like the number one chief on my protected by fans list on anybody on the roster right now. And he's he's a very boomer bust player. He's entirely boomer bust. And there, if you can tell, or if the Chiefs tried to paint it as, well, we believe that he's more of the boom type player. Once we get good coaching in, once we put him in the right situation, then yeah, that makes sense. And I still think that he makes the roster. I mean, he's got to beat out Dan Sorensen, and I Dan Sorensen may be a little better fit, but he's going to make a lot of money. So if they want to save a little bit more money, they can move on from Dan Sorensen. I I think that's safety four right there. I think that's the position that he's competing. And at for. best, like if you want to split up your safety into your strong and deep safety, let's just call it, you know, your deep safety and kind of more of your close, your box safety. He's at least safety three, if not four at both positions, because I think you're going to put Tyron Matthew definitely ahead of him at either position. You'd probably mm-hmm. put Juan Thornhill ahead of him at either position. And in the box, I'm not wild about Daniel Sorensen in the box, but I think he's better than Armani Watts, just given the fact that I've seen him make significantly more tackles and look more athletic in space. And if you're playing him deep, why would I trust Armani Watts over Jordan Lucas at this point in time playing deep? So I have him as safety four at either spot you want to put him at with, what, four other safeties on the roster already better than him at a specific role. I'm just not sure where the hype for him comes from right now, whether you want to focus on his college tape or his little bit of time in the NFL. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. We will be right back after this break, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com.
All right, next up we have Steve Gray Jr. After cornerback, how do you rank the following position groups according to your level of concern? Linebacker, tight end, and wide receiver based solely on what we currently know about Tyreek Hill. So wide receiver to start, the like right after the draft, wide receiver probably would have been number one for me. But the more information or the lack of information coming out since then, I think Tyreek Hill plays at least half the season, if not more, which already pushes it down out of that number one spot. Mm-hmm. So linebacker's number one, and that's just because I want to see these guys go out there and improve on what they did last year. I think they will. I think the scheme's going to be a better fit for Ragland, for Hitchens. I like the addition of Darren Lee. I think Damian Wilson's going to be able to do some stuff as the Sam linebacker. So I like the guys and the skills they have for their positions. I just want to see them do it. Wide receiver remains number two, just because Sammy's health is always going to be a concern until it's not, which is going to be never. And then you might be without Tyreek Hill for a little bit. So that concerns me. Byron Pringle is going to be your wide receiver three or four with D-Rob. So, I mean, it's not a terrible group, but it's also not bad. And then finally, tight end, just because I don't think the Chiefs plan on using multiple tight ends a ton. And if Travis Kelsey goes down, no matter who our backup tight end was, we were already going to be in trouble. So there's no reason to be too worried about that. Well, I see. I'm going to flip that. I'm going to put tight end at number one. Travis Kelsey's not practicing yet. Travis Kelsey's not out there. He's still recovering from injury. Now, don't get me wrong. I see him dancing. I saw him dance. We're good. Oh, that's true. We did see him dance (laughs) while he was eating chicken fingers, didn't we? Yeah, he's good to go, man. That's 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 a very convincing argument. He had to go up the stairs to get into that press box that Blues game too. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm not saying he's Alex Smith level hurt or anything (laughs) like that, but you know he he hadn't been on the field yet, and he's getting a little bit older. He's always come back from this sort of stuff. I believe that he will come back, but honestly, there's concern. Uh, Seriously, there there's some concern there. Who is tight end two? Nobody knows who tight end two is right now. Sherman. Well, other than Anthony Sherman. But, I mean, actually, I'm kind of on board. Does <laughs> does Anthony Sherman catch for 500 yards if he's the primary tight end all year long? Does he have 500 yards receiving? No, he does not. Ah, see, see, that's a concern then. That, that's a concern yeah. for me. So uh, I, I would put that first. Then I would put wide receiver. Uh, again, Tyree Kill missing half the year. Uh, Sammy Watkins' health is also concerning. Linebacker before Darren Lee would have been probably contending for tight end, but for the same reasons, you know, that after they added Darren Lee, that made me feel a lot better about the Will linebacker position. I thought Dorian O'Daniel was perfectly capable of doing it, but they didn't have anybody behind him. Now you've got Dorian O'Daniel as your depth piece in that situation. So I, I think the linebacker group is going to be put in better positions to succeed and they've got a little better skill set to fit what Steve Spagnola wants so I think we're going to see a little better uh, linebacker core um, quick addition I think Sherman plus Dion Yelder would combine to top 500 yards though as a combo tight end oh, one man. two if they were to play all year I think Yelder's got enough athleticism to stretch the field vertically and that's where I have hesitations about Sherman at tight end <laughs> is running the seam how often, how many, how, what percentage of his snaps would he line up as an H back? Is he tied in two or one? One in that situation. Um, I mean, often, but you still have to see the issue with the Chiefs offense right now is Travis Kelsey spends a ton of time at the slot, like in the actual mm-hmm. slot. So you would have to completely rework some of your offensive design if Sherman's going to get a ton of snaps. 
So I don't think he would ever work as a tight end one, but as a tight end two where he can take 100% of his snaps as an H-back, he's fine. So that's why I said, give me Yelder plus Sherman. And it's not a good tight end group if that's all you have, but I think you could make do if you had a healthy Sammy and once you got Tyreek Hill back. Laney Kid one, what is your over under projection for Pringle receiving yards this year? Over he whatever put, the number is, it's over. He put the line at five hundred yards, Maddie. Oh, that's a lot of yards. Five hundred yards. No, that's a lot of under. Yards. Under. Oh, Demarcus Robinson over. had two hundred and eighty eight. No, no, stop. Year. Over. It's over. It's Demarcus Robinson had two hundred and eighty eight last year. It's uh, no Byron Pringle ain't touching five hundred yards. We we gotta walk back some of this Byron Pringle love just a, just a little bit. Listen, we like Byron Pringle a lot, and they like Byron Pringle a lot. But let's not pretend like all of a sudden he's going to be a really really excellent wide receiver. I mean, he he's probably wide receiver three. If Demarcus Robinson in this offense, with getting a lot of wide receiver two looks with, you know, various injuries and things like that, only put up 288 yards last year with Patrick Mahomes throwing for over 5,000, Byron Pringle ain't hitting 500 this year. No, 500's a lot. The one reason that I would say he might even get close, and I would even say maybe even a little bit more than Demarcus, is just because he's a vertical threat. Like his ability to run deep, the ability to run vertical routes is excellent. So even if he does have limited catches, the chances of a lot of them being vertical plays, I feel like it's kind of high. But no, 500 is definitely absurd. I think as of right now, if he's getting 250, 300, and you convert a couple of those into, you know, 40 yard plus touchdowns, oh, that's then awesome. you're super yeah. excited about what you got. Just, I could see a way, a path for 500 not to be. 100% out of the question because like I said he is such a vertical threat and it's not just speed it's just how good he is at running vertical routes oh, and I agree with that in that regard yes I would agree with that most of Demarcus Robinson's catches come on scramble plays you know so uh, it's maybe maybe but I, I still think that that's that's a little hot. I think we've got we got to temper our expectations just a little bit here. I realize that we just got done with 50 touchdowns and 5,000 yards, and it's really easy to have crazy optimism about the wide receiver core, but l- let's pump the brakes a little bit and not try and put too much on the kid right now. Uh, Jayhawk, 1108. Last year's team was top-heavy on pass rush. This year's team has significantly more depth in Jayhawk's opinion. Can you discuss the contrast between the two and the importance of depth for defense? Well, you know, the way that Spagnolo likes to rotate players, depth is more important, I think, for him than top-end talent. Same with Brendan Daly. We talked about it a little bit earlier regarding Chris Jones. They want guys that are going to do their job and maybe don't have some of the top-end talent that are going to execute the scheme like they like. Now, that doesn't mean that they're not going to take the top-end talent. They want those guys that can do that job. But I do agree that the depth on this defense is significantly better than it was with Bob Sutton. I mean, we look at the safety position. They had to pick up Ron Parker to start for most of the year due to injury. If they had, you know, God forbid, Honey Badger goes down due to injury, they've got a couple other options that they can lean on a little more that maybe are a little better player than Ron Parker. Same with linebacker, same at defensive line. Cornerback is thin. Uh, but the rest of those positions 
are, I think, in pretty good shape. And the importance of that, you know, with all the rotation that they do, I, I think that that's significant. Yeah, and I'm not sure if the original question was trying to emphasize just the pass rush here, so I'm going to kind of focus there a little bit. Okay. I think last year's team was actually pretty deep in terms of pass rushes. I mean, you had D Ford, who was obviously a stud. Chris Jones was probably even better. Justin Houston was a fantastic number three pass rusher. And then Alan Bailey still had, what, four, five sacks last year. You got a little bit of pressure out of Xavier Williams. Like, there was a good amount of people along that defensive line capable of getting some pressure. So I'm not so sure if you can get a lot more guys along the defensive line able to get pressure, but what you can do is get more blitzes. You can have more pressure coming from more places on the field, which I think will be a little bit more balanced, and the amount of players able to get that pressure for you is going to be better under Steve Spagnuolo. So that'll really help against a team like New England who can't just sit back and prepare for these one or two top-end rushers and then expect those or you bait the role players into trying to beat them. Now you have to worry about rushes or blitzes, stunts, pressure coming from weird spots, just little stuff like that. But as far as just pure depth goes, I think last year's pass rush was pretty good from the top to the bottom. That was a lot of guys getting a lot of pressure last year. It was. It was. It really was. Uh, JJPJ86 says the offense was great last year, so this unit doesn't get a ton of scrutiny and in the AFC championship game no one gets past the forward and the defense in the blame list uh Patrick is a wizard when plays break down but the offensive line needs to be better can this offensive line improve and who is the best left guard that they currently have Okay, so the last two questions kind of go together the mm-hmm. offensive line can improve if the best left guard plays who is Andrew Wiley Mm-hmm. and LDT stays healthy at right guard. So if you get that, I think the offensive line will be better. My issue with the overall point, though, is I'm not sure the offensive line needs to be or should be much better. They're definitely a top 10 pass blocking unit for an offensive line, and that was even with injuries to both guard spots and the center most of the year. It was a pretty darn good offensive line in terms of pass blocking, which is much more important to the game of football right now, especially for the Chiefs. So yeah, there's a little bit of room for improvement in some of the run blocking, but as far as just overall performance goes, I'm not sure you can ask for a whole lot more for the amount of resources the Chiefs have been putting into the offensive line. I think they've been performing excellent for what the Chiefs have been putting in lately. And I mean, they paid three guys. They significantly paid three guys. Obviously, Austin Ryder got a second contract. Um, Cam Irving got another contract, but... You know, the three guys that they've really paid, Mitchell Schwartz, Eric Fitcher, uh, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, those three guys, I think if you've got them on the field and Andrew Wiley at left guard, which is where he was lining up in training camp prior to LDT's injury, I think that that group of four is pretty darn good. Like, I'm okay with all of those guys. Austin Ryder's a little bit of a question mark, but... They can kind of hide him a little bit. They can kind of give him a little help with those two guards. I I think that the offensive line, while it could improve and they could invest a lot of extra assets into it, I'm I'm pretty okay with it. And I'm pretty okay with the depth on it, too. So, Tremendous79 asks, Favorite Chiefs memories? Oh, man. This, This one's a tough one for me. Because I, as these guys will let you know a lot, I I'm older than them by by 
a small amount. Just, you have just a, a lot bit. of memories to choose from. Yeah. So I, I have a few. How was the first Super Bowl? I mean. Did that make your top five? Listen, the first Super Bowl or Super Bowl four? No, the first one. Like, eh. you were like 10 then. You should remember most of it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. I don't have anything for that. Okay. <laughs> uh, I think I, I got to see Derek Thomas play. And uh, in person, in the stadium, uh, it he was just an electrifying player to watch. Like You couldn't take your eyes off of him at any point. He, he was just very clearly the best player on the field at all time. Every time he was on there. And you couldn't look away from him like it everybody going nuts over Mahomes would have been going just as nuts over Derek Thomas back in the day for those of you who didn't get an opportunity to watch him just heard stories it's that level of of focus that he requires you just can't not watch him you you they you're just so dialed into him because he was such a great player so I I got to watch him play in person once And that's probably one of my favorite Chiefs memories is getting to see him in person. Nah, that's a great one. My one's kind of like a combo of two games. It was that terrible Oakland team that ran all over the Chiefs defense that hadn't allowed a rushing touchdown. And kind of (sighs) Eric Eric Berry's last game before finding out he had cancer. And then pair that with that first game back when he was healthy, he played against Oakland and he picked up and dropped Latavius Murray right on his back and just all the different gifs and highlights of just comparing Latavius Murray running 70 yards somehow. I don't know how that man ever ran 70 yards versus the Eric Berry dropping him on his back, just back to back. Just the the combination of those two games are fantastic. Love Derek Berry. I still do, even as frustrating as last year was. Just the, his story of going through that and overcoming it and just kind of getting that back-to-back kind of play from him in those two games versus essentially the same team was pretty great for me. Yeah. And just to just because I'm thinking about it and just to prove, again, how old I am, um, the only player more really electrifying, because Patrick Mahomes is... Was Otis Taylor. <laughs> no, no, not Otis Taylor. Okay. Although Otis Taylor was good. Um, <laughs> the, the only player more electrifying, and I'm not throwing Pat Mahomes into this yet, he certainly has that potential to just be that, was Bo Jackson. I got to watch Bo Jackson play Ooh. as well. And my goodness, that, that 30 for 30 about Bo Jackson encapsulates everything that it was to, to watch Bo Jackson you know, just go out. Everything was effortless. It, and again, it reminds you of Patrick Mahomes. Like, you know, Eric Bieniemy talked about how when you they see him do this type of stuff, you know, he did the left-handed pass, and then he came to the sidelines, and you know, they they spit the 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 play out. You know, Andy gave him the play. He he gave it to Pat on the field, and then he turned and he stopped for a second. And he turned to Andy and he went, "Did he just throw that left-handed?" Like, you know, just coming out of nowhere. You just get a. You get used to it. You get used to the magical things happening, and they start accumulating in such a way that you miss some of the truly magical things. They just become commonplace for you. And, I mean, it's kind of awesome that we got another one Speaking of 30 for 30s, top five 30 for 30s, the the U, number five. The hating of Christian Leitner, number four. Bo Jackson was three. Number two was Randy Moss. And number one was definitely Run Ricky Run. 
Oh my god, that's a really good list, especially. I off feel the top bad of leaving head. off the bad boys one too. I really wanted to put the Pistons on there, and they probably belong. But that that's a strong top five for me. Man, that's a really strong top five. I oh man, I'd have to look at a list. I <laughs> I really would have to look at a list because I might fully agree with it. I might move Bo up to number one just because. But it I, was a great one. I just yeah. think some of the other ones had a little bit better production for them. And just getting to see Randy Moss college highlights. I do, well, I'm going to throw my soccer. Two Escobars was excellent as well. Oh, okay. But, that was yeah. a good one. I, I didn't understand most of it, but it was a good one. <laughs> they, they kick stuff? What? Yeah. Um, so Cody here we Barkey? go. If you are in the live stream, uh, go ahead and submit some questions. We're going to answer a question, then we're going to come to you guys. So uh, go ahead and submit those right now, and we'll get to you. Uh, Aerodontis asks... If Josh Norman gets cut, does he make sense for the Chiefs? I could not put a bigger yes on on that. If he gets cut, I wouldn't trade for Josh Norman. I don't think that his contract is worth trading for. He's making an awful lot of money. I don't think that he's making or that he's playing to that level. I would bring Josh Norman in in a heartbeat, reunite him with Kendall Fuller and Bashad Breeland in a zone-heavy scheme. That's where he's featured best in. He's a, he's a good zone corner. So put him in those spots. Ask him to play kind of with his eyes in the backfield. Be a little more opportunistic. That's going to be where Josh Norman can really be a good player, pay dividends, and put him on... I You know, I know what Matt's going to say on this, so I'm going to say it, but... I'd put him on a one-year deal and keep him hungry. But I I know Matt has a few different thoughts on that. Yeah, I love the idea of adding Josh Norman if he becomes available. I think that he fits perfectly. I think he he will fit in really well with the scheme. He's played a lot of kind of match zone coverage over his NFL career. He fits the mold. I think that he would be able to pick it up relatively quickly. He knows some guys in the defensive backfield. So I think he'd be good there. I'm not a huge fan of one-year deals when it's a vet player. Get him for a two-year deal or a three-year deal that you can get out of after that second year just because I don't see the point of paying a guy for one year just to have to fix it again the very next year when it's something you need as badly as cornerback right now. So I understand that Norman has plenty of say in this, but if I could sign him for a three-year deal, backloading it with a ton of money in that third year, then I'll, I'll pay him a good amount. I'll still pay him plenty for year one and two because we need him. But I would put more money on the. It's like similar to the Sammy Watkins deal. That's essentially a two-year deal with the option to pay him a ton of money in year three. Give Josh Norman a similar deal, just less money, clearly, and put him out there. Let's get him for at least two years so that he can help us really rebuild the cornerback position rather than just be a band-aid. And see, I'd, I'd be fine with that. I, I can make that work. Like, I'd, I, I'm not opposed to bringing him in for a little bit longer-term deal. I just wouldn't want him to get complacent. He seemed to get a little bit complacent in Washington with his pay, maybe some of that scheme. I know that they tried to play a little bit more man-heavy when he first got there, and they slowly transitioned back to zone where he could be a little bit better player. But he would clearly be the best cornerback that they could bring in on the roster You know, at this point in the year if he was cut. Um, Okay, taking some of these questions from the live stream. Andrew M. says, You can bring back one of the three recent retirees to come back and play for Kansas City this season in prime form. Do you take Jamal Charles, Derek Johnson, 
or Dwayne Bow, consider hypothetically Tyreek isn't playing in 2018? I don't think Bo really fixes anything about the Tyreek Hill situation. I like him. Just he would be more like Travis Kelsey replacement to me than he would Tyreek Hill. So give me Derek Johnson playing the Will and the 4-3. Slides over to Mike in the nickel. Prime Derek Johnson would elevate this defense to such another level that I I can't even talk about it too much or we will be going 50 minutes. Extra. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, prime Derek Johnson is an absolute game changer for this defense he fixes so many things and he gives them that the will that we'd be asking anthony hitchens to be like that he he would change so much so it that would be it for me um we've got another question here i know it's way too early but who are a couple linebackers in next year's draft that you would like the chiefs to go after I don't know how many, how much you've looked at some of these guys, Maddie. Have you at all? <laughs> I, I got a couple, so you can go first, okay. and that way, if you take, if I don't want to take anybody, you would have. I mean, I the guys that I know are like uh, Muhammad Sanadugu out of Ole Miss. Um, let's see, uh, David Reese out of Florida. I, I I'm aware of some of these guys from watching some other guys. I you know, but I, I don't have a ton. Four inside linebackers now. All right. So Dylan Moses, Alabama. You cannot watch Mac Wilson without saying Dylan Moses, the far superior linebacker on that team. He was at right. one, he was recruited at like the age of 13 or something like that by Alabama. That just lets you know how physically talented he is. I also love Isaiah Simmons, the athletic upside of Isaiah Simmons, who plays a very similar role to Dorian O'Daniel did at Clemson. He's at Clemson now. He ran step for step with Travis Etienne, who's a running back that's expected to probably run in the four threes. So he's a kind of safety linebacker hybrid player, but he's big enough to play linebacker. And then kind of a little bit of a sleeper for me. I like Troy Dye out of Oregon. He's not going to be the most athletic, Ooh, but he's smart. Yeah. He understands the game. And I, I think there's a little something special there just mentally that he's going to be a good player in the NFL, even if not the flashiest draft pick. Yeah, no, actually... Uh... I got to watch a little bit of Troy die because there were some questions about whether or not he was coming out this past off season. So I did watch a little bit of him there at Oregon. I forgot about that. That's, that's a really good one, but obviously the correct answer is you'd move Delpit to linebacker and he'd be the best one in the class. Right, Maddie? I mean, he Dylan Moses is really good, but Grant <laughs> Delpit could probably do anything you asked of him. Yes. All right. Uh, thank you for your questions on the live stream. We're going to hit this last one and get out of here. Um, straight out of EMA, for the X receivers, what are the distinctions or different roles that they would play, Maddie? So are we talking like X receiver here as in like your possession receiver, like just the guy on the line of scrimmage, or are we talking guys that kind of fit the general profile? I'm just going to take it kind of as just like the X receiver, the position in general. Okay. So your X receiver is kind of, He's your bigger wide receiver. He's your possession guy. So he plays on the line of scrimmage. He's going to see a lot more press coverage than any other wide receiver. He's your guy that's going to run more short, intermediate routes. Usually gets the best cornerback, but as the game's kind of evolved a little bit, your best cornerback's a lot of times in the slot or will play on a faster kind of Z flanker wide receiver that's more of your deep threat. 
But neither here nor there, your X receiver is Dwayne Bowe. He's a guy that doesn't usually get as much separation, but he's going to make more contested catches. He's going to be a little bit more physical, be able to run over the middle of the field, whereas other receivers like a Byron Pringle or a Tyree Kill are Z receivers or slot receivers. They're going to be your vertical threats that operate better in space. So right now, your X wide receiver is Sammy Watkins, and I'm not sure. I don't know who the backup <laughs> X wide receiver is. Last year, it was Chris Conley, but they lost him. So I think Demarcus Robinson, maybe Cody Thompson are your next in line there just because they're the next kind of biggest guys. But we, they don't have a great traditional X wide receiver on the roster. And maybe that's just a kind of showing where the NFL's going this day and age. Yeah, I don't know that. I mean, we kind of mentioned a little bit last week that they tend to, or that recently NFL teams have gone to lighter, faster, better route runner sort of guys in that situation so yeah that that position may just be fading away a little bit obviously julio jones aj green those guys are elite you know wide receivers and you just can't stop them but yeah deandre hopkins deandre hopkins that's another great one yeah that might be a spot where cody thompson actually makes a little more sense because just because he can fit in that role a little better than maybe anybody else could that's currently on the roster we got you know all these fast guys that are vertical threats they may need somebody that can kind of back up sammy and be an underneath receiver especially with his injury history so oh go draft t higgins go draft t higgins yeah there you go uh johnson thank you all for listening if you liked this please go Give us five-star reviews. They like it when we say that. They like it when you give them. You guys have been doing it, and it's been fantastic. Thank you so much for doing that. Um, Thanks for hanging out with us today on the podcast, and we will catch you next time. Yeah, and if you guys are listening late, make sure to tune in if you get a chance to. Tuesday nights, about 8.15 Central Time. We're live on YouTube on the Arrowhead Pride channel here. Jump in, hang out with us. We'll talk to you guys on and off the recording of the podcast. So come hang out. It's a fun time. You get to see Kent's hair usually when he's not playing hooky on us. So take it easy. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder. But you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.